Lords of Limited is proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, you have a sexy voice going on, a little under the weather over there. A little sick, a little husky. Yeah, it's going to be a very sexy show today, ladies and gentlemen, so strap in. The sultry tones of Ethan Sachs. How you doing, Ben? Doing well. Last day in the old apartment here. I've got a little pillow fort built up around the room, some strategically placed blankets for some soundproofing. It's literally just me, my computers, and some blankets in the apartment now. Wow. Everything else is what, packed in a truck or something, or is it already at your new place? It's already my new place. Had to make a trip back today so we could record the podcast, tie up a few loose ends, and then I am out of here. Wow. Yeah. End of an era. Let's have a a moment of silence, except not really because it's a podcast. (laughs) All right. Well, we are going to be doing a bunch of roundtables today, just trying to like talk through navigating drafts in M20, uh, looking at some drafts from uh, me and also from uh, Quarter Calls, one of our friends of the show. Uh, But before we get into any of that, let's check in on that trophy leaderboard, Ben. I know you haven't had much time to draft. Uh, Any updates for you? I have done one draft this week. I'm a little ashamed. So I am still essentially at the same number of drafts, win rate, et cetera. So 14 drafts, 33 and 8, 7 trophies, 80% win rate. I 2 won to my one draft I did this week. I am at 27 drafts, 46 and 31, 5 trophies for a 60% win rate. So a little higher than last week. It's The nice thing is when you have such a terrible win rate is that every 2-1 just really bumps it up, you know? Yeah, it's a solid place to be. I also jammed a few drafts on Arena, which we'll get to a little bit later in the episode. Sweet. Well, we'll talk about that later. Uh, We're going to get through a couple pieces of business here. In addition to our proud sponsorship by StarCityGames.com, we are also brought to you each and every week by you, the listener, via the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. If you do, you get access to the best place on the internet to talk about Limited, the Lords of Limited Discord. I really do believe it's the best tool out there for you. 24-7 tech support is how I described it last week. You described it as a testing team. I think all of that is super accurate. It's a great place to get better, to bounce ideas off everyone, to get feedback on your own drafts, to give feedback on other people's drafts and, and gameplay and deck building and all that. It's a really fantastic place to be. Uh, we've also got some people crushing the GPs this weekend, Ben. Who are we going to shout out making those day twos? Yeah, apologies if I missed anyone. I just scrolled through the Discord, but wanted to give people a shout out that day two. So Amnesiac, Mort, CMU Stewart, Jacob M, and Sean Doherty. Congrats on your day twos at GPs Detroit and Krakow. Yeah, we're recording on Sunday morning, so good luck, good luck on day two. Um, we also want to make sure that we shout out each and every new patron the first week that they join. We got a whole mess of new folks this week, so Ben, you're going to help me out here. We want to welcome Andrew, Matik, Nick, Alan, Christian, Shoma, Todd, Catherine, Mike, John, Ian, Easton, Brian, Bin, John, Mac, Pierre, David Z, Chad, Matthew, Nikolai Bolas, Brian, Keith, Tyler, David S, Frederick, Jared, Charles, Don, Chris, Heriberto, George, and Nathan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, I cannot say thank you enough. And I cannot, again, say thank you enough to the Discord. I wasn't able to draft much this week, but I still feel really in tune with what's going on in the M20 meta thanks to just checking in every day in big picture, card evaluation, looking at the trophies decks. I hadn't drafted for a few days and was going to draft Wednesday night. And I just posted in the big picture, hey, what's happened in the meta? I haven't drafted three or four days. And 
people were chiming in with mono red being a thing, which we're going to get to in this episode. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Discord. You are great. Yeah. Discord is the best can confirm. We are also now partnering with Coalesce Apparel and Design, Magic's newest apparel company. And as part of this, we have a gift code for you on their website, coalesceapparel.shop for you to get 10% off your order, which pertains to any apparel on the website, not just the Lords of Limited merch. And that code is LOL, all caps. Again, LOL, all caps. I have ordered my Lords of Limited t-shirts. You have ordered your Lords of Limited t-shirts. They are fire. Yeah. Can confirm. Choose your side. Hashtag I'm with Ben or hashtag I'm with Ethan. Get over to Colas Apparel. Get those shirts. It's exciting. All right. Let's dive into the episode, Ben. We're going to talk about some sort of big picture stuff, maybe some specific cards. Then we're going to look at some draft logs, look at uh, how to draft this mono red menace. Uh, What do you got for us in general format thoughts this week? So I just have sort of a picture of the M20 metagame in my head. And I think the best decks are still the best Sultai decks. But as we talked about last week, and more people are on that deck now, it's harder and harder to get the best versions of Sultai. And if you're a medium-ish Sultai deck, those decks are really vulnerable to attack, I think, specifically by the newest format menace, Mono Red. So I think if everybody at your table or a lot of people at your table are trying to jam Sultai, Mono Red is a great option right now. And this week, it was all of the rage in the Lords of Limited Discord. And it doesn't necessarily have to be truly Mono Red, but you're really deep into red, maybe splashing a few green cards or a few blue cards. And a lot of time, you've got like a 12-5 mana base Mm -hmm. or something like that. And if neither Sultai or Mono Red's available... Green-white tokens, black-white life gain, I think, are the decks I'm looking to get into next. And it really feels like you need to have all of those drafts fluidly in your repertoire to really find success in the format so that the drafts where Sultai is really contested, you can still end up with great decks that can trophy. So notably, we're not listing, you know, five of the 10 color pairs here. I'm curious where you're at in terms of like maybe blue-red or blue-white skies. Are those significantly below green-white tokens and black-white life gain? Like why are those two decks here uh, sort of pointing out in particular? I like blue-red and I like blue-white, but I don't like them quite as much as blue-black or blue-green. And I think if blue is really contested, it's it's hard to get into blue-red and blue-white as well. And I think those two decks are just worse than blue-black and blue-green. So, And usually when I don't end up in blue-black or blue-green, it's because blue's cut. And so that's where green-white and black-white and red are coming into the picture. I see. So if you can't end up in a Sultai deck or a Sultai deck that includes blue, it's because blue isn't open. And so then that's going to mean that blue, red or blue, white is going to be worse because you're going to be relying on red or white as your like base color or support color or whatever. And those are, I think, generally the two weakest colors in the format, though it was sort of interesting. There's a lot of uh, content on Channel Fireball this week about M20. I don't know if you caught it. Uh, Andrea Mangucci and uh, Mike Sigrist both posted articles about drafting on Arena. And Sigrist has red as the best color in M20. Yeah, red has moved up for me a little bit. I think I have red above black now, just strictly because of how good mono red is. Interesting. Yeah. I I really think, and we're going to, I don't know when we're going to do it, but probably sooner rather than later, we'll do an episode on drafting with the bots for M20. And I think that decks and the metagames are much, much different this time around than like MTGO and paper versus arena. I would agree with that completely. Yeah. So I wanted to touch on black, white, just uh, a little bit here. I, I think we sort of like had poo pooed that deck last week and sort of in terms of ranking archetypes, I think we had it in like the third tier, like black, white and red, white as like decks we weren't excited about. Um, I played against a really strong black, white life gain deck during a coaching session I was having on arena. Uh, the deck ran like at least three soul menders that we saw. And I initially wrote it off. I was like, oh, this is terrible. Like they're playing these cards that are essentially mulligans. 
but it had two angel of vitalities. That's the two and a white two, two angel of flying that has you gain an additional life each time you have an instance of life gain. And then if you have 25 or more life, it's a four, four instead of a two, two and bloodthirsty aerialist. Maybe they even had some epicures of blood hiding. Um, and they had so much recursion, right? They have like a blood for blowns and a grave digger and soul salvage. They had the sanitarium skeleton plus altar little wombo combo. And I think this deck has legs for two reasons. One, the format board stalls a lot of the time and removal is not plentiful. So because removal is not plentiful, you're sort of loath to spend them on the kind of engine card that is Soul Mender. And so you sort of like let them stick around because you don't want to waste removal on them. But then once there's like this board stall and you can't really break through, you know, if you're or if you're like, well, the ground is stalled and I'm hitting in with a Boreal Elemental, well, if you're attacking for three every turn, but your opponent's gaining two life every turn because of Soul Mender plus Angel or because of two Soul Menders, like you just buy yourself so much time to set up your deck or to recur some stuff or to just get ahead in the air. It just gives you a lot of time in the game. And I was so impressed by it. And I was like, oh, I think this is what Black White is trying to do. I agree completely. I have played against that exact same deck on MTGO and it had all of the exact same feelings as you. I was really impressed with the deck. I think the way to know if you have a good version of Black White is if you want to run two to three Soul Menders. And if the answer to that is yes, you're probably doing it right. Soul Mender plus the Angel making your Soul Mender gain two is super real as well as just triggering the bloodthirsty aerialists, etc. And I had not seen the altar combo in black white, but that again seems like another great home for the altar because oftentimes I found in black green, the two life that you pay is the steepest cost. Yeah, I 100% agree. And, and it's so mitigated in this deck. So yeah, I think this is definitely a deck to look out for. It's, it seems very uncommon based, you know, like the, the two best payoffs for life gain, the angel and the bloodthirsty aerialist are at uncommon. Um, but I think if you can get those, that that's where you want to be. I don't think the like corpse knight creatures et being is what black white's trying to do i think this is is what black white's trying to do i agree you've got some thoughts on the catch them all cards here for us what are those yeah so uh i don't know these cards are interesting to me this will not come as a surprise to anyone knowing how much i love charm stray and uh, war of the spark but like these kinds of cards where you can like wheel them and they sort of get better in multiples and there's one in each color here these like catch them all cards is what I call them. Um, and I wanted to just touch on them and where I'm at with each of them. Cause I think they're, they're part of the draft, you know, in a way that other cards aren't where like, you're just eyeing them and seeing if they wheel or trying to like track them throughout the draft. So I just wanted to touch on them and where, where I think each one is best or, or, or worst. So the first one here, fairy miscreant, I think this card is pretty obviously best in blue, white skies. And I think the threshold of these is four or more, um, this is also kind of nice to have with Yarox Wavecrasher. That's the three and a blue four, four that when it comes into play, you have to pick up a creature and portal of sanctuary. That's the blue artifact at uncommon that like bounces your own stuff on your own turn. Um, I think that's like nice little wombo combo synergies, but outside of blue white, I've, just sort of found like this card lends itself towards flooding and there's just enough flyers in the format and certainly enough spiders in the format that you kind of feel like this gets outclassed a little bit unless unless you can get it to be like a 2-2 with the uh, the blue-white uncommon. Yep, agree with all that. I was listening to Pro Points yesterday while I was driving back and forth from the new place and Sigurus said fairy miscreants are very collectible on Arena. Yeah, it sounds like that's a, a, a card that's not valued very highly by the bots. Um, next up is Pack Mastiff, which I think you and I have as the best of the bunch. 
And not because like they necessarily get better multiples, but that it's just so good on its own, right? It's not a card you need to try to get multiples of. Right. It's just the best card. It's my most drafted card on MTGO right now. Oh, that's so interesting. I, I actually haven't checked that. Actually, I'm interested to see what my stats are for that. Uh, next up is Undead Servant. This is the black one, three and a black for the three, two. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you get uh, a two, two zombie token for each copy of Undead Servant in your graveyard. I have a really hard time finding room for this card because of its mana cost, right? I think you need probably at least three before you're happy with it. And even then you want some self-mill in the form of Gorging Vulture to be able to enable the first one that you cast because like a four mana three, two is pretty embarrassing in this format. But like think about Gravedigger, Blood for Bones, Agonizing Siphon and others at four CMC. I just don't know how you're supposed to find room for three of these in your deck. That's the problem, right? It's just a huge cost on your curve. I think if you have self-mill and you have four of these or five of these or something, that's pretty legitimate if you can get a copy or two in the graveyard before you start going off with them. But it's so tough to do all of those things together and you're giving up on so much other power in the four drop slot. Yeah, I'm curious to hear if folks have had success with it and if so, what those decks look like because I just have to imagine that your four drop slot is only this card if that's the case. Next up is the green one. This is growth cycle, the one in a green plus three plus three, and then it gets an additional plus two plus two for each copy in your graveyard. I just have never drafted a deck that wants more than one combat trick, really. Like, I just don't know how you find room for multiples of these. I get that it's, you know, something you have to think about, especially when once one is in your opponent's graveyard, you know, it makes combat a little trickier. You have to sort of give them a, a little bit of credit for maybe having one more and, and how do you block accordingly. But I just, I, I don't know. I don't like this card very much. It's fine. I think it's playable in green, white and red, green, red, green, when you're trying to do the smuggler shenanigans to maybe get some growth cycle wombo combo going on. And in, in white, green, a lot of times you want to run season of growth. And once you've got season of growth in your deck, growth cycle becomes a little more appealing because you're trying to put spells that target your own creatures. So season of growth is the one green enchantment that whenever a creature ETBs, you scry one. And whenever one of your creatures becomes targeted by a spell, you control, you draw a card. Yeah, that makes sense that you definitely want these with season of growth. I, I buy that. This, similar to Pack Massive, it just doesn't feel like a, a big catch em all. I'm like, well, the first one is fine. Like, I don't need multiples for this to be good. Whereas like things like Miscreant or Undead Servant, you're like, I need to, to catch them all here. Right. And the last one here, I really just wanted to have this on the list so we could argue again about uh, Battalion Foot Soldier. This is the two and a white two, two. When it enters the battlefield, you can then search up any number of copies of Battalion Foot Soldier from your library and put them into your hand. I mean, I know this is still going to be our biggest disagreement, but I had the chance to play with it again in like a red, white control deck. Um, and I know it's white and I know I'm not happy to be in white, but I do feel like it provides a source of card advantage for this color that it doesn't normally get, like similar to how I felt about Legion Conquistador, even when it, vampires didn't matter. And I just think like having three or four of these is is nice. And you, you want to make sure you have things to do with them. Like I think in the red white deck, I had uh, a mask of immolation to be able to use them as like block sack fodder or whatever to make combat awkward for my opponent. But there, there's a lot of X2s running around in the format. And I think this is this is a pretty good card. Yeah, I, I still don't think it is. I don't think it's impactful enough to spend three mana for a 2-2. Yeah. I think the things that made it good in Rivals of Ixalan were that vampires mattered and you wanted board presence because of City's Blessing. And I don't think those factors exist here. And I think there are decks in M20 that go way over the top of something this clunky and low impact. Yeah. I, I, all I can say is I've played with it twice and I've been very happy with it both times. 
All right. Noted. That's going to bring us to another card we're going to disagree on here. I just, I, you know, I was trying to wrap my head around it last week and I still can't. It's been a week and I feel like I've been talking to folks in the Discord and I think there are people who are pretty split. I know Beers SC is, is sort of on my side of things, but I know that Quarter Calls and other folks are on your side of things. But Raise the Alarm is not a card I can get behind yet. Like I haven't played with it that much. When I have played with it, I've not been happy with it. And when I see my opponent cast it, it never feels impactful. Like I think it's more a green-white gold card would you agree with that? I think that's where its best home is for sure. Yeah. But even so, like it's a card, it's a two drop, but it's not a card you want to play on two, right? You want to use it as like a combat trick plus with the Griffin or with the Iron Root Warlord, the green, white, uh, gold uncommon. I just don't think it's, it's really a card you're happy to fire off on turn two, like ever. I'm fine firing it off on turn two. I mean, that's what's good about it, right? You can play it on turn two and the one ones are going to be relevant into the late game if you've got ways to pump them or you've got the green, white uncommon makes its power greater. It also turns on your squad captains later in the game the four and a white two two vigilance when etbs gets a plus one plus one counter on it for each other creature you control if you've got three creatures on the battlefield and you cast that all of a sudden a five mana five five vigilance is no joke so i think firing it off on turn two is not the worst sometimes when you're on the draw you get to ambush your opponent's x1 i think it just does enough that i'm i'm fine firing it off on turn two if i've got ways to abuse the going wide which i do if i'm putting that card in my deck or later in the game to pump a griffin protector and whatnot yeah this is where i wish my win rate was a little higher because i'm like well, I just like feel very strongly that the raise the alarm is not very good and the battalion foot soldier is pretty good, but I feel like I have no no credence to back it up. <laughs> Well, and I'm to be fair to your win rate, I'm theory crafting as well. I've not played green. I've played one green, white, go wide deck ish. Maybe I think it wasn't even super go wide, but I have played against really good green, white decks in the finals where my opponents played raise the alarms multiple copies and it was very very good for them yeah yeah that's i think that's the difference is i just haven't played against good green white decks yet uh i also put together a little list of like top five cards i've been impressed by this week that i wanted to talk about one is season of growth that's the enchantment we talked about that like lets you scry one every time you play a creature and then bonus points if you have like some rabid bites or combat tricks to then trigger the second clause that lets you draw cards feral invocation i think is also on that list yeah for sure this card is just really good my i had an opponent get really salty at me for like t- continuing to top deck and i was like I'm scrying like every turn. This card is really ridiculous. Yeah. Season of Growth is very powerful. I think it's a real, I don't even know that it's necessarily a build around. I think it's just good in high creature count decks. And then if you have a way or two or three to trigger it, you're just happy and it's gravy and upside. Yeah. I don't think I would play it in a deck where I had no ways to draw a card, but as soon as I have like one rabid bite, I'm thrilled to have this. Right. Next card on this list is Blade Brand. I think in conjunction with Fathom Fleet Cutthroat, there's a lot of trickiness that Black has to offer. And in conjunction with Audacious Thief, like I think that that's why these cards are so good in particular, but also with like Sanitarium Skeleton. I think that Blade Brand is much better here than it was in Ravnica Allegiance. I like Blade Brand in both of those formats. I was a huge Blade Brand champion in Ravnica Allegiance as well. Yeah. Thrashing Brontodon, I mean, this is a, a good card, but it's just continued to impress me. 3-4 for 3 is so, so big in this format. And there are a lot of main deck artifact enchantments that you're happy to have a main deck answer to. Number four, Knight of the Ebon Legion. Again, this is a card that I was like, this looks pretty good. This is the, the black 1-2 at rare that then you can pay 2 in a black to give it plus 3 plus plus three and death touch until end of turn. And then it grows if your opponent lost four or more life this turn. I mean, what a ridiculous card for one mana. This totally takes over the game. And if it basically, if it connects on turn three and when you pump it, it feels like you really can't lose. Yeah, I agree. That card's been very impressive. I think it really clicked for me when I was listening to LR and they were talking about it. 
activating it on turn three. And I was initially thinking, I don't want to spend my third turn activating this card. But if you think about it, like you're spending the three mana to play a two, three, like essentially because your, your one mana investment on turn one didn't really matter. So then if you think about this as playing your three drop and turning it into a two, three, hitting your opponent for five, and then they just can't block it profitably the rest of the game. It's really, really snowbally. Yeah. And then last on this list, which is going to probably lead into our mono red discussions later, this is uh, Goblin Smuggler, two and a red for the two two with haste, and you can tap it to give another target creature with power two or less uh, unblockable until end of turn. Yeah, mono red is all the hotness right now, especially in the Lords of Limited Discord. I've been very impressed with Goblin Smuggler in a couple of my red decks, but I, I really have not had a chance to draft since I've discovered or since since the Discord has discovered the mono red deck. But out of my opponents, this card has been pretty annoying. Like if you get behind this is going to close out the game unless you have a removal spell to point at it yeah i mean the fact that it combos with two commons pack mastiff and lavakin brawler is pretty incredible yeah also can sneak in your one drop scorch spitters or whatever the name of that card Mm -hmm. is yeah for sure all right and that's going to kick us on over into some round tables first up we've got one of yours right yeah we're going to take a look at one of my draft logs here ben are you ready to take a seat i am let's do it all right, so pack one, pick one, see the following cards as options. Uh, Chandra's Outrage, two red red for the instant, deal four to a creature and two to that creature's controller. Audacious Thief, two and a black for the two, two. When it attacks, you draw a card and lose one life. Season of Growth, that's the one in a green enchantment at Uncommon we've talked about. Barkhide Troll, this card has not uh, impressed me that much, mostly because of its mana cost. Green, green for a two, two, enters the battlefield with a plus and plus one counter on it. And you can remove a plus and plus one counter from it by paying one to give it hexproof until end of turn. And then your rare is Knight of the Ebon Legion. That's the black one, two we just talked about. Yeah, some strong options here. Pack one, pick one. I think the cards that stick out to me most are Chandra's Outrage and Knight of the Ebon Legion. And I think ultimately the knot has got to go to Knight of the Ebon Legion. I think that rare is better than all of the commons. I think I would take it over Murder, pack one, pick one. And I think I would take it over Cloudkin Seer. Yeah, I would take it over Cloudkin Seer. That one's close though. Man, Cloudkin Seer is so good. <laughs> so I guess you wouldn't take it over a Risen Reef? I would not take it over Risen Reef. I would take Risen Reef over it. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's where the line is for me. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure. I I wonder if I just think this is better than all the uncommons, but maybe, I, maybe I'm maybe i not quite giving enough credence to Risen Reef being super busted. All right, anyway, so I grabbed that as well. Moving on to pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as option. Griffin Protector, three and a white for the two, three with flying. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Bone Splinters, single black for sorcery as additional cost to cast the spell, sack a creature, destroy target creature. Um, not really anything to write home about are the uncommons. There's a warden of Evo's Isle, two and a blue for a two, two flyer creature spells with flying. You cast cost one less to cast and then steal overseer is your rare two for a one, one tap, put a plus and plus one counter on each artifact creature you control it is a fairly weak pack and uncommon is missing out of the pack. None of the commons are close to Steel Overseer and Warden of Evo's Isle also not close to Steel Overseer. This is really powerful at the start of a draft because it's going to make your deck 100% of the time and gives you a lot of flexibility down the road, makes some other cards along with it better that you might pick up along the way and play. So happy to snap up Steel Overseer here and start my draft off with two rares. Yep, I felt the exact same way. Pack one, pick three. I'm interested to see what you think about this one. Uh, Following cards... Under consideration, unsummon single blue instant return target creature to its owner's hand. Thornwood Falls is the green blue 
Enter the battlefield tapped land that gains you a life. Thicket Crasher, 300 green for the 4-3 elemental with trample that gives other elementals you control trample. Um, there's a portal of sanctuary at uncommon. That's the two and a blue artifact that lets you return a creature you control in each or attach to it to their owner's hand on your turn. And Gruesome Scourger, three black black for the 3-3 three, three when it enters the battlefield, deals damage to target opponent or planeswalker equal to the number of creatures you control. Yeah, I have really not liked Gruesome Scourger at all. Pretty down on that card. The common options are not exciting. I think the dual land is the card that sticks out to me most out of the commons, but I think Portal of Sanctuary has been busted enough in some blue decks that I've seen that I would want to take a flyer on it early here out of a very weak pack and see what comes. Maybe it makes my deck. Maybe it's really good. Maybe it doesn't. But regardless, I think it's the highest upside card in the pack. Yeah, I 100% agree with highest upside. I was feeling like I just wanted some consistency. So I grabbed Thornwood Falls to like see if I could have some some options for splashing down the road or just make a, a two-color deck better. I mean, I know I started off with a black card, but I feel like you know last week and I think this week, the Sultai lands are still lands that I'm, I'm trying to pick pretty highly. I agree with that. Uh, pack one, pick four. Here are the following cards for you. Sleep Paralysis, three and a blue for the aura, enchant creature. When Sleep Paralysis enters the battlefield, you tap the creature and it doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. There's a Chandra's Ember Capped, one and a red for a 2-2 two, two that uh, you can tap to add a red to... You can tap to add a red to spend mana only on elemental spells or a Chandra Planeswalker spell. Another Bone Splinters and Pattern Matcher at Uncommon. Four mana for a 3-3. When it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for a card with the same name as another creature you control. Reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Yeah, there's an Uncommon, a Rare, and a Common missing out of this pack so far. So can start to see some signals maybe. I think it's probably not super right for Pattern Matcher to be here, unless maybe the Common taken was like a Murder or a Cloudkin Seer or something. But the fact that Pattern Matcher is colorless and potentially a three mana three a four mana three three draw card is pretty big game. I think it's better than all of the commons that are left in the pack. Sleep paralysis has gone way down for me. Mm-hmm. I don't like that card at all anymore. Chandra's Ember Cat has come up for me quite a bit. I think you know based on the discussions I've seen happening in the Lords of Limited Discord this week, it's just got a lot of synergy with the red cards that are you know self contained within red, uh, specifically Lavakin Brawler, the three and a red two four that pumps equal to the number of elementals you control when it attacks so i think that's the common that impresses me most out of the pack but ultimately i'm going to land on pattern matcher to stay colorless it's going to have synergy with the steel overseer i've already got and i think it's been pretty common for me to have two or more copies of multiple cards in my decks in this format i also love getting it early so like then later on when i have picks between like well do i you know what's the tiebreaker here between getting a second copy of something or a first copy of something else then you have the pattern matcher so you're like all right well that that tiebreaker is pretty easy mm-hmm. uh moving on to pack one pick five there's an unsummon there's a swift water cliffs so that's the blue red end of the battlefield tapped land there's a raise the alarm, one on a white for the instant, make two one one white soldier creature tokens. There's a griffin protector, a feral invocation, two and a green for the uh, aura with flash to give enchanted creature plus two plus two, and another warden of evosile. Yeah, this is a pretty unexciting pack. So to recap, we've got a knight of the ebon legion, a steel overseer, a thornwood falls. You have a thornwood falls. I have a portal of sanctuary and the pattern matcher, but I don't think that really makes any difference for this pick. So the two cards that stick out to me most are raise the alarm and warden of evo's isle and looks like there's a fair amount of white flowing with both raise the alarm and griffin protector still here as my number one white common and my number three white common so i think i would take this pick as a signal that white is flowing and i think i would land on raise the alarm here and just still be trying to feel out where i'm at in this draft and the nice thing is that since we have all these colorless cards we can really go in any direction and don't feel committed to anything at this point 
Yeah, agreed with that. Um, I, I took a similar route in terms of trying to like stay open, and I just grabbed the the tap land again. Like going teamer was kind of appealing to me, um, especially because I like those colors. The elemental theme's really nice, and getting good mana there. You know, I often find that I'm in one of those two colors, and I want to splash the third. So I felt like taking the land here left me with the most options open. So that may be just showing my hate for white here. Like I am really hard avoiding white and I definitely like if I were to take a white card here, I would take protector over raise the alarm, but that's neither here nor there. So moving on to pack one pick six, uh, there's a reduced to ashes four and a red for the sorcery deal five to target creature. If it would die this turn, you exile it instead. That's definitely the best common here. There's an anticipate, I guess, if you wanted to stay blue. Um, and then uncommons, you've got Ogre Siegebreaker, two black red for the 4-3, and you can pay two black red to destroy a target creature that was dealt damage this turn. And then there's Manifold Key. I don't know if you've played with or against this card yet. This single mana artifact, pay one to untap another target artifact, but really the ability that you care about is three tap target creature can't be blocked this turn. Yeah, I'm not crazy about this card. I was never thrilled with Rogue's Passage, and that was taking up a land slot. This is taking up an actual card slot. I think in the really aggressive red decks, this can do an okay impersonation of Goblin Smuggler if you don't get there on the Goblin Smugglers, but ultimately hoping to not put Manifold Key in my deck. I think this comes down to Ogre Siegebreaker versus Reduced Ashes for me, and with the Knight of the Ebon Legion as our first pick and really hoping to play that card if I can, I think I would be taking the Ogre Siegebreaker here over Reduced Ashes. It's a fine removal spell. I've been happy including one exactly one reduced to ashes in my red decks but certainly no more than that yeah i, I hear what you're saying about the ogre siege breaker i just felt like black was not open at all and like just seeing this card doesn't necessarily mean that black is open like it's probably this is probably about where i would take o- ogre siege breaker but we really hadn't seen any black cards beyond taking our knight pack one pick one and i've just felt like there have been decks where i've been up against it in terms of getting enough ways to interact and i agree with not wanting multiple reduced to ashes but i, I was just pretty happy with picking up a, a clunky removal spell, but a removal spell nonetheless. I think that's certainly reasonable here. And your point about not seeing black cards is very real. I agree with that. Um, pack one, pick seven. See the following cards as options. There's an inspiring captain, three and a white for the three, three when it enters the battlefield. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. There's an infuriate, single red darker creature gets plus three, plus two until end of turn. Fairy miscreant, if you want to catch them all, single blue for a one, one when it enters the battlefield. If you control another creature named Fairy Miscreant, you draw a card and not really much else to talk about. Yeah, I think for me, taking the Raise the Alarm pack one, pick five, I would take Inspiring Captain here and continue trying to feel out if white is open. Inspiring Captain's been a fine card that I'm happy including in green white decks. And I think this pack is unexciting enough here that I just want to try to get deeper into the color that I think is open. And I think that's white. Yeah, that's fair. I grabbed Fairy Miscreant as just sort of a hedge of like, well, we hadn't seen one yet. And so seeing one seventh may mean that like we can carve that out and it's early enough in the draft that uh, I was interested in that. I also thought that there was a possibility that Portal of Sanctuary could wheel um, where you took it third, but I I didn't. Um, And so maybe, you know, comboing that with a couple miscreants to be able to like, you know, pay two to draw a card every turn could have been a sweet thing to do. Yeah, I agree. Pack one, pick eight. Another raise the alarm for you, Ben, and a pack mastiff for me, one in a red for the two, two. And you can pay one in a red to give each creature you control named Pack Mastiff plus one plus O until end of turn. Yeah, I'd have snapped up Raise the Alarm here quite happily. And I think I'd have been looking to move into white and Pack Mastiff makes perfect sense with the route you've taken through the draft. This was a tough pack one pick one. I mean, it, it started out great with you having a lot of options all the way up through pack one pick four with the two colorless cards and Steel Overseer and Pattern Matcher. But then stuff just dried up pretty quickly. 
uh, after that. Yeah, so the draft finished up with me ending up in a blue-red deck with a bunch of artifacts and a bunch of double-copied stuff. So I had two Pattern Matchers, two Pack Mastiffs, two Chandra's Embercat, two Scuttlemutts, two Boreal Elementals, and two Frilled Sea Serpents. Um, a bunch of artifact creatures for the Steel Overseer ended up with a Bag of Holding. But really, that reduced to Ashes, a Chandra Novice Pyromancer, and an Unsummon were like my only ways to interact. Um, I thought this deck looked pretty strong, but it just like lost. Uh, it went one, two total. I think I played eight total games with it. So like the two two times it lost were one twos. But uh, but yeah, I thought this deck had had more legs than it it, it did. It, it looks pretty good to me. Yeah, makes sense. We've mentioned his name a few times. Quarter calls Alex Nikolic. Uh, was kind enough to provide us with one of his mono red draft logs, as well as sort of outlining a bit of an archetype guide for mono red, since neither you nor I have had a chance to play that deck much. And I do think it's really important to talk about that because I do think that really emerged this week in the M20 metagame mm-hmm. and has made a significant impact on the metagame and is sort of a way to fight the Sultai Menace if you aren't able to get into that deck yourself. So uh, we're going to take a look at one of Cortical's draft logs here. And again, uh, Cord Streams, so twitch.tv slash Cortical's if you want to check out his content. He has a blog. If you follow him on Twitter, you can find a link to his blog that he does. He writes some great articles, just sharing his thoughts on the various formats. Super introspective magic mind, and I would check out all of his content. So would you like to take a seat at Alex's round table here? I would. So pack one, pick one. You sit down, you see the following options. Winged words, two and a blue for the sorcery. Costs one less to cast if you control a creature with flying. Draw two cards. Pack Mastiff, one and a red for the 2-2. Two, two. You can pay one and a red to pump it. And each creature you control named Pack Mastiff gets plus one plus oh until end of turn. Sky Knight Vanguard, red white for the 1-2 flyer. When it attacks, create a 1-1 one, one white soldier token that's tapped and attacking. And your rare Dread Presence, three and a black for the 3-3. Three, three. When a swamp enters the battlefield under your control, choose one. You draw a card and you lose a life. Or Dread Presence deals two damage to any target and you gain two life. All right, I want to ask you one thing before I tell you that Dread Presence is the slam dunk pick here. Where are you at on Winged Words versus Yarox Fenlurker? That's the black, black, one, one ETBs. Your opponent exiles a card from their hand, and then you can pay two and a black to pump it. I liked Winged Words more in a vacuum. Why? I had that pick, pack one, pick one the other day, and Beers SC was in my chat, and I was like going to take Fenlurker, and, and then he and, and a number of people were like, I'm on Winged Words. And I basically just sort of was like, all right, cool. Can you just tell me what you would take out of each pack here? Because Beers is like one of the top trophy leaders in the format right now. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm obviously doing it wrong. So all right, just uh, just putting it down there that Winged Words is a better card than Fenlurker in a vacuum. Yeah. All right. Dread Presence in your pile quite happily. Not a particularly close pick there. Moving on to pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as options. Another Winged Words. Shock, single red for the instant, deals two damage to any target. Renowned Weaponsmith, one and a blue for the one three, can tap to add two colorless that can only be spent on artifact spells or activated abilities of artifacts. And then you pay blue tap to search up Heart Piercer Bows or Vial of Dragon Fires from your deck. Rapacious Dragon, four and a red for the three three, your boy. Flying, and when he enters the battlefield, create two treasure tokens. And that's about it. Yeah, I mean, if you were going to take a black card here, you'd take Epicure of Blood, the four and a black four four that whenever you gain life each opponent loses one life but that just doesn't seem like what you want to do like i really want to play dread presence if i can but i'm not interested in taking epicure of blood this early um shock seems like the responsible pick though isn't don't we have winged words ahead of shock in our pick order we do yeah so so maybe winged words is supposed to be the pick here i think alex has moved shock up in his pick order quite a bit and a lot of red cards up in his pick order quite a bit i I was talking to him and he's got winged words third now back again behind frost links i don't know if i'm quite there yet i Mm -hmm. still am on winged words as the second best blue common but i I think taking shock over it here is reasonable yeah i think that's fair moving on to pack one pick three see the following cards as options with a shock and a dread presence in your pile 
There's another Pack Mastiff, Goblin Smuggler, two and a red for the 2-2 Haste, and can tap to give another target creature with power two less unblockable until end of turn. There's a Griffin Protector, three and a white for the 2-3 Flyer when it ETBs. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, Griffin Protector gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. There's a Chandra's Embercat, one and a red for the 2-2, tap to add red, spend this mana only to cast an elemental spell or a Chandra Planeswalker spell. That's a card that has gone up quite a bit for me. If if you start to change your evaluations to some of the red cards and you're picking Lavakin Brawlers higher, mm-hmm. Chandra's Embercat ramping you into, God forbid, the uncommon Chandra or Lavakin Brawler is some serious game. Agreed. I think that's really, really it as far as options in the pack. The uncommons and rare are all unexciting. And not a single black card to follow up with uh, Dread Presence here. So yeah, I'm into following up with a red card, though I'm going to differ from Alex's pick here. I think I would take Pack Mastiff here in a vacuum. Um, I value that two drop higher than Chandra's Embercat and over the Smuggler. I mean, I know Smuggler made my list of uh, cards that have impressed me this week, but I just don't feel like I need to take it this highly, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, so I think this is a super interesting pick here, Just and we're going to talk about a lot of these cards in the mono red deck. Pack Mastiff has actually drastically moved down my red pick order because it doesn't have synergy with all the other cards that are great in the mono red deck, and I think Chandra's Embercat really does and can lead to some fast starts. Goblin Smuggler is really key, but right now you've been able to wheel Goblin Smugglers pretty reliably on MTGO, I think, and maybe that's going to change after we talk about this deck and more people start drafting it. Mm-hmm. it certainly seems like I was facing red the the one time I played this week I did finished one draft and did part of another I played red in three out of my four matches my opponent was red so maybe that was just a a weird spike but certainly felt more prevalent than it was in week one Mm -hmm. I think ultimately I would land on ember cat here maybe but maybe smuggler is important enough to the deck that you just take it so interesting that you alex and i are all on a different card yeah (laughs) that pick but so alex landed on goblin smuggler and is the mono red expert so we will trust him moving on to pack one pick four you see the following options there's a rabid bite one and a green for the sorcery target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control there's a raise the alarm one and a white for the instant create two one one white soldier creature tokens there's a corpse knight white black for the two two whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control each opponent loses one life and that's about it yeah i mean rabid bite seems like the pretty clear pick here for me um so one of the best commons in the set good removal and a color i'm happy to be in so i'd snap that up here yep alex did as well and i would as well i think just the best card in the pack and still staying open and flexible moving on to pack one pick five see the following cards as options there's another shock netcaster spider two and a green for the two three reach whenever it blocks a creature with flying netcaster spider gets plus two plus oh until end of turn and an unchained berserker one red for the one one pro white and gets plus two plus oh as long as it's attacking yeah i I like shock here probably the best though netcaster spider is a little close and we just picked up a rabid bite and i kind of still like rabid bite more than shock but i think i would be happy with two shocks here yeah i like shock here as well to get deeper into red and you know already i think when i'm drafting on mtgo if i'm getting into red i'm trying to steer as close to mono red as i can because i think that's how you maximize all the red cards so shock sounds good to me here and alex agrees so just a recap in our pile we've got dread presence shock goblin smuggler rabid bite and a second shock so far moving on to pack one pick six you see the following cards as options there's another netcaster spider there's a scorch spitter single red for the one one whenever it attacks it deals one damage to the player or planeswalker it's attacking feral invocation two and a green for the enchantment aura that has flash enchant creature enchanted creature gets plus two plus two 
Veil vale of Summer has been pretty impressive as a sideboard card. That's the blue black hoser out of green, single green for the instant. Draw a card if an opponent has cast a blue or black spell this turn and gives you and the permanents you control hexproof from blue and black until end of turn. Yeah, this is where I feel like I can never, I'll never get into the mono red deck because I would take Netcaster Spider here pretty happily and I would not be looking at Scorch Spitter as a card. I think that's just a shift you have to make in your brain. I think this is just like the Ryan Sachs mentality, right? Once you're doing the thing, you really want to try to do the thing as much uh-huh. as you can. And Scorch Spitter just has a ton of synergy in the deck. Whereas if you take Netcaster Spider here and you end up in a red-green deck with Netcaster Spiders, you're going to be mid-range. And that's, I think, one of the worst places to be in the format. It's just like this this derpy red green creature deck with some removal right because you're gonna you're gonna lose to the good sultai decks that grind and you're still gonna have a tough matchup against like maybe the go wide decks and or the more focused mono red decks yeah that's fair so is netcaster spider just not that good or is it more of like a green blue or green black card i I think it's green blue green black yeah okay all right i think that's where you really want netcaster spider that's a good shift to make then yeah, I, I would have taken Scorch Spitter there and Alex did as well and trying looking to get into this mono red deck. So this is sort of a shift to see. I think this draft log is a really good example of how to get into mono red. Mm-hmm. Moving on to pack one, pick seven, see the following cards as options. There's a Sedge Scorpion, single green for the one, one with Death Touch. There's an Active Treason, two and a red for the sorcery. That's the only red card in the pack. Gain control of target creature until end of turn. Untap it, it gains haste. And one uncommon left in the pack, and it's a good one. Overcome, three green green for the sorcery. Creatures you control get plus two, plus two, and gain trample until end of turn. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're taking Scorch Spitter sixth, then I feel like you want to take Active Treason or Vial of Dragonfire here. I mean, Vial of Dragonfire is so clunky, so I guess I would just take Active Treason. I, I don't know. I'm feeling a bit a bit lost here. I guess if I had taken Netcaster Spider, I would have taken Sedge Scorpion. Um, where are you at? I don't love any of the cards in this pack. I think Overcomes the most powerful card in the pack, so I would take it here, and maybe you end up in a red-green deck where you're more evenly split, and Overcomes is going to be a good card in your deck because you have some beefy green creatures as well, sort of give you a way to close out the game against the the late-game decks. But I, I don't love any of the options here. Okay. So I would land on Overcome unhappily, and that is what Alex did as well. Moving on to pack one, pick eight. See the following cards as options. There's a Vial of Dragonfire, two mana for the artifact, pay two tap, sack it. It deals two damage to target creature. Pack Mastiff, one and a red for the 2-2, and you can pay one red to give it plus one plus O until end of turn. And a Mammoth Spider, four and a green for the 3-5 reach. I mean, this is a slam dunk Pack Mastiff, right? Yeah, slam dunk Pack Mastiff and feeling pretty good. You're deep into red at this point at the end of pack one. You have a rabid bite that you could splash in your red deck if you go heavy red with a light touch on green. Didn't really pick up many playables the rest of the pack, but sort of the way the draft shook out, got hooked up a lot in red in pack two and pack three. Got some Ember Cats, got some Lavakin Brawlers, and ultimately ended up being mono red, splashing a few blue cards. And this deck ended up trophying. So just sort of you can see a route through a draft, you know, started off with a dread presence and ended up mono red because of picking picking shocks highly and then getting some cards late like the scorch bitter pack mastiff and that sort of is how you ultimately cement yourself into a heavy base red version of the deck yeah 
Well, let's let's talk about it. Let's dive into Alex's outline of this deck here. What is the game plan of Mono Red? So Mono Red's the most aggressive deck you can draft in M20. This deck is all about getting your opponent from 20 to 0 as fast as you can. So your plan is to curve out with creatures on turns 1 through 4 to get in some early damage, and then use cards like Goblin Smuggler and Mask of Immolation. That's the one red uncommon equipment that when it ETBs, you make a 1-1 elemental token, which... The elemental has synergy in the deck a lot of times, and then you can sacrifice the creature that mask is equipped to to deal one damage to any target. That is a really effective way to push through the last few points of damage. And there's three real reasons this deck is super effective. What's the first one here? Number one, it makes good use of cards that nobody wants slash often wheel, like Scorch Spitter, Destructive Digger, and Goblin Smuggler. Though this one, Goblin Smuggler, probably won't be wheeling much longer. Yeah, I think as we talk about this deck and as more people see the deck doing well and lose to it, people are going to start taking Goblin Smuggler higher because that's the card that really gives the deck reach. Goblin Smuggler demands a removal spell from your opponent, and it's fairly easy right now to pick up three or four Goblin Smugglers. I was talking to Alex last night, and he said he wants four Goblin Smugglers in his heavy red mono red decks. Wow. Number two, all of red's commons contribute to the same plan, and there are very few mid-rangey red cards that are common in M20, so you never end up with those awkward packs where they have the wrong half of the commons in your colors. All of the red commons you're pretty happy to put in your deck. And number three, reds, commons, and uncommons have sneaky synergy. So you think about Goblin Smuggler being able to push through Lava Kin Brawlers, that's really huge, and then even Scorch Spitters, Unchained Berserkers, and Chandra's Spitfire. Uh, Chandra's Embercat casting turn three Lavakin Brawler or Uncommon Chandra, two cards that are very hard to deal with on turn three, and Scorch Spitter triggering Chandra's Spitfire. I would also put Mask of Immolation there as well. Mask of Immolation plus Chandra's Spitfire is huge. Like it's each instance of damage. So like you sack two creatures, that's plus six plus O on your Spitfire. Yeah, I would add Pack Mastiff to the list as well, synergizing mm-hmm. with the Goblin Smuggler. So you can see all of Red's cards are working towards this goal of getting your opponent dead. So this type of deck is really an exception to the, the phrase that you hear, you know, all the pros bandy about. I think Owen was the one that really popularized this on limited resources, is that every limited deck is just a shade of mid-range. So really, that's not true with this deck. You should be building and drafting knowing that you will be the aggressor because that's where Goblin Smuggler is the best, right? Goblin Smuggler is atrociously embarrassing when you're behind, but when you're ahead, it's a very, very good card. So you need to be planning to be ahead and you need to be aware of the fact that certain hands have to be aggressively mulliganed so that you get curves where you know you're going to start the game out on the right foot. So the cards that pull you into this deck specifically, we'll look at rares first. Uh, and he has an interesting note here that the strength of this deck is that a good version of it can be built using just commons, but there are some rares that are quite good here. So Cavalier of Flames, which is two red, red, red for a six, five. It's got a whole mess of text. One on a red, creatures you control get plus one, plus oh, and gain haste until of turn. When it enters the battlefield, you can discard any number of cards and draw that many cards. And when it dies, it deals X damage to each opponent and each planeswalker they control, where X is the number of land cards in your graveyard. But this thing is probably never dying in your mono red deck. Yep. When you cast it, your opponent is dying. Yeah. Next up is Chandra Acolyte of Flame. That's the rare Chandra. It's one red red for the four loyalty planeswalker. Zero ability. You can put a loyalty counter on each red planeswalker you control. Probably not using that one too much. Zero, create two one one red elemental creature tokens. They gain haste, sacrifice them at the beginning of the next end step. That's the main ability you want to use. And I think I really underrated how powerful and how synergistic that ability was in the format. Mm-hmm. And then the minus two, you can cast target instant sorcery card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard. If that card would be put into your graveyard this turn, exile it instead. I savaged myself by minusing Chandra to cast a murder from my graveyard, but I was tapped out. 
I was like, oh no, I need to actually pay the mana for this. Oh no, that's brutal. Yeah, pretty bad. So yeah, I've been very impressed with Chandra. It works super well in tandem with Risen Reef, getting out the two hasty bodies that maybe you can sack to Mask of Immolation or that have synergy with your Chandra pumping them. There's just a lot of different ways, I think, to... Yes, Chandra doesn't protect herself, but I think there are a lot of different ways to make maximum use of those two hasty elementals. Next up is Glinthorn Buccaneer, one red red for a 2-4 with haste. When you discard a card, it deals one damage to each opponent, and you can pay one and a red to discard a card and draw a card, but activate it only when it's attacking. Here's another two-power creature that can be made unblockable with the Goblin Smuggler. It's an aggressive body. It's a really good combo with Chandra's Spitfire uh, and the Smuggler, like we just talked about. Just a, a really strong card. Chandra's Regulator is the last one. I have played this, and I've played near mono red decks, but not quite as aggressively all-in as the decks we're outlining here. Mine were more mid-rangey-ish mono red decks, but the regulator is very good if you're heavy red. If you have an uncommon Chandra, sometimes you get a Mize two abilities, which is excellent, but just looting away your mountains and or pitching cards to find land drops is all very worth a card in Chandra's regulator. The uncommon payoffs here, Chandra Novice Pyromancer. This is the best uncommon in the set, and it's even better in this deck. All three abilities are relevant. You end up with a good amount of elementals, and the mana ability allows you to double spell every turn. Chandra Spitfire is capable of dealing massive amounts of damage especially with Mask of Immolation. Ember Hauler, that's the red, red 2-2. You can pay one to shock something. This is one of the best twos in the format. And again, its mana cost is mitigated because you're mono red. Mask of Immolation card is still underrated. Turns your creatures into removal spells, has elemental synergies, and provides reach. I think that's one of the cards I'm most scared of out of red decks for my opponent. And then the commons, I love this. He calls them the Fantastic Four. The deck is really defined by four commons that all work well together, have synergy between them. And that's Goblin Smuggler, Lavakin Brawler, Sham... Chandra's Ember Cat and Scorch Spitter. And I think probably in that order of importance as well, like Smuggler 1, Brawler 2, Ember Cat 3, Scorch Spitter 4. Yeah, I would agree with that. So Goblin Smuggler is the real deal and is the sort of the linchpin of this archetype. It's a hasty threat that's a must kill in the mid to late game, and it makes a two power creature unblockable, which means a lot more than two damage in this deck, though, because of Chandra's Spitfire. If you make that unblockable, sometimes you can go for four, seven, ten damage in a turn. Lavakin Brawler oftentimes is cracking in for five or six. Unchained Berserker can get in for three consistently. Pack Mastiff later in the game can be a huge clock. It is the most important card in the deck because I think it it just laughs at all the spiders that the green decks are relying on to try to block and stabilize the mid to late game. So if we go in order of importance, next up is Lavakin Brawler. This punches through for massive amounts of damage with Goblin Smuggler, but even without it, it's really hard to block because of the four toughness. It incentivized double blocks, which can lead to blowouts. Number three, Chandra's Embercat, a mana dork that can actually attack for damage is a really big deal in this deck. Playing a Chandra or a Lavakin on turn three really puts a lot of pressure on your opponent. It has elemental synergies, and on turn three, when you play your Goblin Smuggler, you can target this with a hasty ability of the Goblin Smuggler, get in for two, even if your opponent has a blocker out. It just does a lot of really little things well in the deck, and I think the most important of those is curving into Lavakin Brawler. And lastly, Scorch Spitter is a one drop that pressures early, but can still get in later thanks to the Smuggler, and it ups your elemental count for Lavakin Brawler, as well as having other elemental synergies in your deck. And just a note here from Alex, he says a lot of the other non-removal spell, red commons, he could take or leave, they're sort of interchangeable, but most are quite good, like Pack Mastiff, Destructive Digger, Kelden Raider, etc. He's happy to find playing those cards, but those don't have the same synergy that the Fantastic Four have. Yeah. 
So how he ends up here is usually by taking some of the good rares or uncommons or the red removal spells early, but he also, as we saw from the round table, doesn't shy away from taking some of the stronger cards like Smuggler or Brawler early if the packs are weak. Mid-pack to late-pack, seeing any of the Fantastic Four pushes him to move in. And so if we take a look at some of the curves for the deck, if we, talk, we talk about the spells in the one-drop slot. You're looking for Infuriates. That's the single red plus three plus two. That card has impressed me. I've been happy playing a copy or two of that in any red deck. Shock, Manifold Key can be a reasonable replacement for Goblin Smuggler if you don't get the Goblin Smugglers. You want Mask of Immolation in the two-drop slot. Act of Treason in the three-drop slot, only if you've got Mask of Immolation. And then in the four-drop slot, Chandra's Outrage and Chandra Novice Pyromancer. And then the Creature Curve, it's not going to be very surprising here. One drops as many Scorch Spitters, I think, as he can get his hands on. And then in two, Ember Hauler, Chandra's Ember Cat, Pack Mastiff, and even Goblin Bird Grabber. Uh, in the three-drop, as we heard, as many Goblin Smugglers as he can get, Chandra's Spitfire. And then at four, Lavakin Brawler, Scampering Scorcher. That's the uncommon three in a red to make a 1-1 that brings along two other 1-1 elementals. And they all have haste. And then Kelden Raiders. As for deck underperformers, Daggersail Aeronaut is top of the list. It just doesn't really have enough punch for four mana. It can't block well the turn it comes down like Lavakin Brawler does. And the four drop slot gets pretty contested in the deck and both Lavakin Brawler and Kelden Raiders edge this out. And just a quick note about the idea that Daggersail Aeronaut can't block well. One of the things that I read on Alex's blog, I think it was, was that he was talking about Lavakin Brawler being really good because it can block, because it reverses the flow of the game. So if you're behind, Lavakin Brawler comes down, stabilizes, and says, your opponent can't attack you anymore that turn, and then you get a crack back into them for with a 5-4 or a 6-4 potentially. So there's sort of this flow reversal that happens the turn you play a Lavakin Brawler, even if you're not the aggressor, that the turn after you play a Lavakin Brawler, because it blocks so well, you're often not taking damage, and then you're you're turning into the aggressor with your Lavakin Brawler. I thought that was a really cool idea of valuing cards that block and attack well highly. Yeah, that's super interesting. The other underperformer on this list is Maniacal Rage. Uh, he says you usually don't, don't have to stoop this low, and there are better ways to push through damage. So as far as the creature spell ratio, you're heavily weighted towards creatures, somewhere in the 15 to 16 range. And I don't think that's unusual for most decks in this format, really. Mm -hmm. You just can't afford to have an opening hand of removal spells or combat tricks. Getting on board and pushing through the early damage to allow your cards like Goblin Smuggler to close out the game is really how this deck functions. Number of lands, he's saying 16, one of the benefits of being mono colored is you don't have to worry about the number of sources you have for your colors uh, he doesn't like to go down to 15 because of the powerful four drops and there are mana sinks like destructive digger and pack mastiff as far as sideboarding plans one really effective sideboard plan he's found is boarding out scorch bitters and sighting in rip scale predators so that's the four red red six five menace been fairly impressed with that just as a card in general yeah and doing a little switch and bait on your opponent as they're sighting in better blockers for your scorch bitters is pretty big game so maybe bringing in rip scale predators plus a land on the draw or against decks that have incidental life gain. The spitters are less likely to be good on the draw and opponents frequently bore down to smaller creatures to keep up with the scorch spitters. And then the rip scales allow you to go over the top of your opponent, especially after they've traded off resources aggressively to try to stabilize their life total by the time the predator comes down. He also has a note here about being not quite mono red and that it's hard to sometimes end up with 23 great red playables. So sometimes you splash one to five cards of another color. Uh, so the way he likes to draft this deck is having a pile of red cards and then cherry picking a few great cards of other colors if the pack doesn't have great playables for him. Um, so looking at the other four colors, the cards that he's considering in white 
are Pacifism and Sky Knight Vanguard. In blue, Cloudkin Seer and Lightning Stormkin. Uh, in black, he's got Audacious Thief here because it's great with Smuggler. He's not really interested in Splashing Murder because he wants his mana to be consistent. And in green, Rabid Bite and Creeping Trailblazer. And I will note, I had the chance, you know, we talked about, I played on Arena a little bit last night. I really wanted to try to test this deck on Arena because I didn't have enough time to finish my MTGO draft and do another draft. So I went on Arena and I tried to force or steer heavily into mono red the first draft it did not work out at all and i did a quick oh one drop because i wanted to try to draft again and then the second time i really got there with a heavy red slight green splash deck that ultimately went three one and the deck was playing out very well so i just ended up dropping because i got all my gems back and i really wanted to try to get in a third draft since i didn't have much time to draft this week and then drafted again a second time and didn't get into mono red but ended up with a red green beatdownish deck i don't really think this mono red deck is forcible on arena at least it did, certainly didn't seem like it in the three drafts i did so if you're playing on arena and you listen to this episode and you think yeah i want to go draft mono red on arena it doesn't really work that way on arena because of the bots i don't think but on mtgo if people are trying to draft sultai it really is very possible to get into a heavy red deck if you're in a pod with people that aren't interested in drafting the red cards and or don't know how good brawler smuggler and ember cat are which i would put myself on that list until just you know about the middle of the week this week yeah and then we're, are we have a re-ranking here of red's top commons yeah just a quick re-rank i think the top two are still the same shock one chandra's outrage two and i think you want one of each of those cards before you want two of either and then in the number three slot i've got lavakin brawler now three and a red for the two four and it gets plus one plus oh when it attacks for each elemental you control i think as a nod to how well it synergizes with chandra's ember cat and this mono red deck it really is the force with goblin smuggler to hit really hard and allow you to put a ton of pressure on your opponents it's really cool that this mono red deck exists in this format and i'm wondering if there are like more gems that corset 20 has to offer us in terms of like fringe decks that we don't normally see i saw a mono black deck posted in the discord the other day that looked pretty sexy Sweet. Yeah. Keep an eye out for that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, Alex was saying, I think as people start to take Smuggler more highly, you might even have to move Smuggler up to the third best red common in your pick order. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. I could definitely see that. So that's it for mono red. I think the format is, you know, evolving, maturing. I think this is super deep for a core set format, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it continues to shake out as the weeks come by. Yeah. All right. Great place to wrap us up there. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. And we are both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
All right, and that's going to kick us on over into some roundtables. First up, we've got one of yours, right? Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Ben, would you like? Well, nope, nope. Derp, 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 derp. 